Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, the only podcast where two brothers talk about a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers slash host slash kind of comedian, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other one of all those things and less, Will Hines. Hmm. So it's sort of a, a one of those on my and more. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying unless you're it's there's a continuity between our episodes now. Kevin, in comedy, it's important to follow patterns. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. about in kind of comedy? You can just do it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is so we talk about comic books we love. Uh uh, we have just recently completed our series on covering Chris Claremont's X-Men comics. Mm-hmm. In a series we called Mutants and Mailbags. This series was so popular, well, world famous, world famous. Uh, so we we ended it. We got too big for us. We ended it. We're starting a new one that we have called Cosmic Rays and Correspondence, where we cover John Burns' Fantastic Four comics and answer emails. It's basically the same thing. We've just changed comics. We haven't even really changed eras. <laughs> We've. We're not we're not really pushing boundaries too much. We are no. stuck in the 80s comics that we liked as kids. We got to we got to branch out at some point, but that point is not today. Uh yeah, so we've got a bunch of emails to go through today. Uh next week we're going to start covering the Squadron Supreme, and uh, we may or may not cover emails in some of those episodes depending on how much time we have. Mm-hmm. Um but if you want to email us before we get back to Cosmic Rays and Correspondence, you should do that at screwitcomics@gmail.com. Because we've got emails, but we haven't been getting as many. Well, we need more emails. So that's what I'm saying. Give us your opinions. Like, uh, we need emails. We, you know, so if you are bored by us uh, and the comics we're covering, but there's something in comics you are excited about. You know, maybe you're a big Werewolf by Night uh, fan. Uh, maybe you're, you know, excited about whatever Dan Slot's doing these days. Uh, send us an email. We we we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I say that even though we have plenty of emails for today and we probably won't get through them all, but I, I want more. I'm greedy. I want more. And also another thing is if you're listening to this and you're a fan, or even if you're frankly just a halfway fan, you're sort of tolerating it, help us uh, spread the word about this podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. We're looking for a little campaign. Maybe just put on your Instagram. You know, we have an Instagram account, Screw It Comics. Go to that Instagram account and repost one of our posts in your story. Um. Yes. Yeah. Help us spread the word. Uh, that other comics nerds might uh might find it because we're 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 having we have okay retention rates when people actually tune in. Yeah. We got some cool stuff coming up in the next couple months that uh, you'll want to be around for. We got some cool guests who are most likely gonna like chime in now and then. Like we said, we got the Squadron Supreme, which millions of people are begging us to cover. Yeah, it's a very popular request. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that'd be cool if everyone who f- listens to us who also is on Instagram just post took like one panel that they liked and just took that post and put it in their stories. Maybe that will do something. I don't know. Maybe it won't, but uh, I want to see if it does. So Hash- do that for us. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about that's going to be a campaign. Well, we're going to run that all through the Squadron Supreme episodes. Yeah, get ready for a lot of us saying that over and over again. So, yeah, this is our little screw it Insta um push yeah so uh yeah we're, yeah we're motivating the the mary milksop marching society is that what we called it i can't remember that is what uh, it is yeah the mary milksop marching society we're 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 kind of we're bringing you we're calling you guys to arms i guess it would make more sense to be mary marching milksop society but somehow it's just easier to say mary milksop marching society yeah milksop's they're, they're... not really an adjective but we're using it as an adjective <laughs> well they're mary milksops and they're a marching society. Okay. <laughs> the Mary Milksop, comma, marching society. <laughs> okay, yeah. So if you are part of the Mary Milksop marching comma. society, <laughs> join our Insta, screw it, Insta push, mm-hmm. and uh, help us help us get the word out that we exist and we are a podcast. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, how yeah. in Twitter, when you're like, you'll tweet about this, that Part of your Twitter description will say, we are a podcast. Yeah, because I post all these <laughs> images and I and I there's a lot of sites that do that and they're just posting images. Right. Yeah. So I just want to be like, hey, we're, we're more than just these images. Like, listen to us talk about these images that I'm <laughs> putting on uh, uh, the social medias. Um, 
Uh, Kevin, anyway. before, before we get to the John Byrne issues at hand, I got a little TV oh, business, little business. Uh, Sandman has been renewed for a second season. I didn't actually hear that. Yeah, you're, just, you're, this is breaking news for me. Yeah, well, that's what Deadline is reporting. Us Hollywood types, we keep our eye on Deadline. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, see, Netflix has given him a season two. And you know what? I'm excited to see it, even though I wasn't too crazy about season one. And I found it a little, not not a little, I found it kind of a lot slow. There was enough about it that was good. We have a whole episode where we reviewed it. That yeah. I'm excited to see another crack at it. I bet, I bet you they will fix a lot of what was missing. Yeah, I think it will get better. Well, here's the thing. I think it will get better. It might not get better in a way we like. I feel yeah. like it was sort of skirting the difference between what a lot of different people might have wanted. And it might change in a way that I like less, but mm-hmm. other people would be really excited for, mm-hmm. um, which is probably fine. I feel like I'm not on the pulse of uh, society's Me either. television worst... needs. Yeah. Like when I really like something, I'm like, this is probably bad news. Yeah. If they, if it, if we are excited about season two, that's bad news for the series. <laughs> yeah. Uh that said, like, yeah, I ho- I think it will be better. I mean, it looked great and the acting was great. So like the pieces and and even like this, we know the stories are great. So it's just like it wasn't missing by a ton. Yeah. So I'm excited to see season two. So I just wanted to get that 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 news. That is exciting there. news. Yeah. There's a new Ant-Man trailer. Did you see that? I did not. Quantum Mania. That's pretty fun. Yeah, it's it sounds, good. Sounds like multiversy. It's a it's a good trailer. I mean, who knows if it's a good movie? Same director as the first two, but uh, it's written by um, uh, Jeff Loveness, mm. uh, who has written some comics, uh, and he's a funny dude. He he's I think he wrote for Robot Chicken. Also, he's he also going to write like the next Avengers movie. I think he wrote for Rick and Morty, right? Yeah. Yes. What did I say? Robot Chicken. Yeah, I was thinking of Zeb Wells. Yes, he wrote for Rick and Morty. Uh, Loveness wrote for Rick and Morty. Anyway, he's I think he's a very funny guy, and I think he's a good writer. The comics he's written are very character well-written characters like the 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 plots are good but like the important thing to me is like oh these characters are fully realized and interesting and engaging so i almost don't care about anything else when that's done well and so for something that is looking kind of as big and as crazy and as cosmic as this next ant-man movie i know like at least the script had those characters written well uh okay well that's that's promising then so we'll we'll see what that we'll see what that movie's like um we also got wakanda forever coming out this weekend yeah, I keep forgetting that's coming out uh, uh, in a next week. week next next week, weekend, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. when this podcast comes out, do you think? Do you think it's going like, to have any? That, right yeah, when this podcast comes out, it'll, it'll be in a couple days. Yeah. Um, do you think Wakanda Forever is going to have anything to do with the Black Panther movie that came out a couple years ago? Oh, I mean, I guess it would have to, right? Because he's from Wakanda. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I don't know if they know that, but like, Black Panther's from Wakanda. <laughs> you don't know so if they know that the writers. I just, I hope that they take Gotta that. Into assume account. someone brought it up. And I noticed oh, that they have a Prince of Atlantis with wings mm-hmm. on his feet. Do you think that that character knows who Prince Nemor is? I mean, I haven't seen the movie. I don't want to really guess. Yeah, I don't know either. Like, I'm just saying, well, mm-hmm. there's looks like there's a bunch of people who can breathe water and they're like kind of a, yeah. a warring nation. And he seems like a proud sort of leader of them with very sure. arched eyebrows. Sort of an Aquaman type. Kind of an Aquaman type. Yeah, but more marbly. I, I don't yeah. know. Do you think that guy knows who Prince Nemor is? I can't imagine. The ocean is huge. Yeah, he might never have run into him. Yeah. But it might be a fun Easter egg if that That's guy like knows. saying, hey, there's another human without wings on his ankles that walks around in clothes and breathes air. I know. I know. Do you know him? And you'd be like, he's from Australia. How would well, I have met him? In my heart of hearts, I hope that Wakanda forever mentions Black Panther. And I hope that that guy with wings on his feet who leads the army of undersea people has heard of Prince Namor. That's just my fan wish. Uh, James Gunn has been put in charge or co-in charge of DC movie and entertainment. I know. Crazy comeback for a guy who got canceled on Twitter like five years he got ago. got fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Then he got to do the Suicide Squad. Then he got to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah. And now he's in charge of DC or half in charge. And I love him. So I'm very excited for that. Did Guardians 3 come out? No. it's uh, There's a Christmas special coming out in a few weeks that looks very funny. The trailer to that is also out. And that's very funny. But I think the movie doesn't come out till the summer, maybe. I don't know when. Okay. Um, but I'm sure it'll be good. I like the Suicide Squad, and I loved Peacemaker. Love uh, Peacemaker, and and I think James Gunn is smart in like not all these movies will be his sensibilities, but he gets characters. I think yeah, I I feel like it's a really good move. But this this could be big thing. 
this could mean big things for the DC movie verse. I mean, that's the big thing, right? Uh, our pal Kevin Feige. Feige. Um, I call him Feige. Um, <laughs> we just pronounce everything wrong. <laughs> do we get any names right on this podcast? Sometimes we get our names right. I got, oh, I have a tip for you on a name pronunciation thing, but go ahead. Uh, anyway, uh, I think like what he's good about is like he knows these characters and he gets directors and writers who I, I think he sits down with them and talks to them and gets a feel for like, what's your take on Spider-Man? What's your take on Iron Man? And it's more about that than like, who's he fighting? It's like, describe this character to me. What kind of journey does this character go on? What's this? And like, I think that shows in the material. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, uh, you know, jury's out on whether the MCU will be a financial success, but uh, sure, sure. It's it's uh, sure it's sure it sure put a jolt of energy into the, the to the comic book industry. Um, all right. I'm ready to talk about some John Byrne stuff, Kevin. Yes, let's let's get into it. We wasted enough time. Yeah. So this we're doing issues 235, 235, and 237. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get some big ones today, Kevin. Yeah. We're we're issue four of his run, and this is one of the ones I think about when I think about his run right away. And then the next one is one of the signature issues of his whole run, I think. Yeah, I think these these next two are like two of the two of like three or four issues that come to mind when I think about his run. Pretty cool. Um, and it's early to hit this, so that's exciting. It's, it's like uh, when we and, did the Claremont, and, and it's great. It's like we did the oh, yeah, like, X-Men yeah, Dark and, Phoenix was and like, right away Dark Phoenix happens. Yeah. It's like oh, it's so it's so fast to hit a home run. It's like take your time, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, this first issue, 235, is the FF battle, the living planet, Ego, who I think I read this comic and just assumed Ego had been in millions of Marvel comics. It it just seems like such a big deal. But I think it's only at this time it'd been in like a handful of comics and old Kirby ones at that. Uh, yeah, they mentioned two adventures that Ego has been in in the, in the flashback in this issue. So that might that might be all that there was. Yeah, I went on Wikipedia and I think like I think maybe it had three appearances. Uh, there might be like one or two more, but like not a lot. And that's sort of crazy to me because Ego feels like such a big deal, though. He is a crazy concept. So I guess it also <laughs> makes sense that people wouldn't be chomping at the bit to bring back the planet that has a giant face on it <laughs> but at the same time it looks cool to me i don't know <laughs> looks pretty good uh, i also just love that ego in this comic announces his name almost every time he hasn't been talking for one panel when he comes back his first thing is i am ego <laughs> like he he introduces yeah. himself like 150 times in this comic and i and i kind of love it but i guess if your name is ego it's justified that you have a big ego yeah i mean Maybe every time a tiny little mite on your surface talks to you, you're like, this might be a new guy. <laughs> I better I can't keep track of which bug on my shoulder is talking to me. I better let him know who I am. It's 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 kind of him, really. It's yeah, he, it's he's like we've taking... met before. Yeah, you told me you're it's like okay. Who, I'm who ego. I'm going to your planet to destroy everything because my enemy is there. Which and his enemy's not there, but we'll his get enemy's to that. not there. Yeah. Uh yeah. So this is a, a great comic. What is it about uh, this comic that you love, that you remember? Why do you think it stuck out? I don't know. I think it's a very simple. Weirdly, there's one part that I didn't like upon rereading it. I'll talk about that when we get to it. But um, I think it's a very fun concept. The way uh, it's it, the FF are all together and they sort of drop off, leaving what, just what, the thing behind is basically what's going to happen here. And I think what, it's a very cool sequence. Do you want to tell our listeners what the overall story is or should we just walk through it? Well, the overall story is that to to get Ego either away or to destroy Ego, they have to put a bomb on his brain, which is in the middle is of in the middle of a planet. So they have to walk to like the core of a planet. Uh, and while they're doing it, basically, one by one, the FF realize they can't survive in this environment and have to turn around until it's just the thing. And now there's nobody to do it if he stops. So he has to just keep going. And that's, you know, that's a perfect role for the thing. The thing is the guy who just doesn't fall down. Yeah, he doesn't quit. But it's also fun watching the other FF drop off and be sensible about it. Um, and I don't know. It's a very simple story. And it's it's similar to the first story where each member kind of gets their little moment. Uh, and this, you know, 
And it kind of does that, but just in reverse. Instead of that first comic where they each have their moment and then they all get together, this is like they each have their moment and then leave. Um, and it starts, you know, uh, in media res. Is that how they say it? Did uh, you just make thing. that term up? Did you just make that term That's up? a real thing? Isn't that a real thing? No, I know it, yeah. Um, I I thought maybe I mispronounced that. But you well. made up you made up do sex machina, right? Uh, uh, yeah, but I call it uh, uh, duasa. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it starts with the thing alone walking through like just a very weird alien environment, beautifully drawn by John Byrne with like some weird Kirby device on his back. I'll also say this about John Byrne's characters. This is my favorite version of the thing. He draws the best thing. I know I should say it's Kirby and, and Joe Sinnott, but when I think of the thing, this is what I picture in my head every single time. You mean visually? Yeah, visually. It's pretty great. You know, the blocky orange bricks, very well defined with occasional just like for some reason, black spots, mm-hmm. you know, not they're in shadow, but like, yeah, it's it's what I think of, too. This is my this is my thing. And you said last episode that John Byrne is not as funny as he thinks he is. And I do think that's true. But I think he gets Ben's sense of humor pretty well. And he writes in Ben's voice. Like right out of the gate, he's writing Ben's voice, I think, perfectly. Yeah, the dialogue is is quite good in general and for Ben in particular. Sometimes people write the thing and he like, you know, he's saying uh, clobber in time and Aunt Petunia, but it still doesn't quite sound like him. You know, there's like there's something about like his sort of jovial good nature and gruffness. It's that's a weird juxtaposition. There's just little things Byrne does like there's just a lot of. I don't know, like instead of starting, it's starting. Instead yeah. of four, it's fur, F E R. Yeah. Um, there's little, like, just kind of tough guy action movie self deprecation going on a lot. I mean, ben. John Byrne loves the thing and it shows. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it starts the thing is carrying this device in the body of ego and. Uh, yeah, he's basically just thinking to himself. And then after about two pages of that, we flash back to how he got to this position. Right. So we cut back to last issue where he's in a bar with his jeans and his nice green turtleneck and gravity waves are starting to destroy everything. And the FF get in the rocket ship to investigate and find out that it's ego is causing these gravity waves. Yeah. I am the living planet. I am ego. Nice to meet you, ego. We don't worry Uh, about, how it is that he's got a big nose and mouth. We don't worry. Like, is there wind cavity in there? You know, what's illuminating the pupils of his eyes. We're not going to worry about that. Nope. Uh, the, <laughs> their ship is pulled to the surface. It's a really cool looking surface with like, it, it feels almost like the secret wars battle world planet where it looks cobbled together with like just different environments and shapes and stuff. Yeah. So uh, the, the sci-fi premise here is that he's a planet, but he's also a living organism. So, he his landscape, like the mountains and the rivers and the valleys, are really just cellular functions for him. It's you know, it'd be like if you zoomed in at our body and just looked at like the weird stuff on the surface of a cell or something like that. There's um, a really cool sequence where they're about to crash their ship and Johnny like burns a runway for them. It just looks cool. It's like a very it, simple, fun demonstration of Johnny's powers. It does look great. Um, yeah, there's got when Johnny is like streaking ahead of the rocket ship, they got that nice long John Byrne projectile line of flame. Like whenever there's a long horizontal line and a burned comic, I'm like, ooh, it yeah. looks it looks like it's moving. Yeah, it looks great. Also, Broom Hilda reference. Yeah, like Johnny's looking at the landscape of uh, ego. Look at this place, like something out of Broom Hilda. Do you think that reference hit hard with the comic book readers of 1981? Do you think they were like, finally, somebody's <laughs> comparing something to Broom Hilda? I don't know if it hit then. It certainly doesn't hit now, <laughs> but I love it. I love it. I wish there was just tons of references to sort of comic books. What is this, Mother Goose and Grimm? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, uh, a, a lot of the a lot of the business of the first half of this comic is the FF exploring ego, and it's kind of like kind of like sci-fi fun of just seeing how ego works you know like there's a rocket that's jammed into him which is how he flies around and we find out that that's a foreign object that's not native to ego 
Uh, ego can manifest his head at any scale anywhere on the planet to talk to the FF. Like anyone who's alive. Yeah, just like we're allowed to manifest our head any part of our body anytime we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FF have little cool little uh, kind of sky cycles part of their rocket. So we see them leave the rocket ship and kind of ride away on their sky cycles. That's very Kirby and very fun just to have like yeah. cool cool vehicles you can speed away on. Very Return of the Jedi, frankly. Yeah, those vehicles get destroyed and Johnny grabs uh, Reed and Sue. Uh, but he goes, I can't reach Ben in time. And Reed just goes, it's all right, Johnny. Just let him fall. <laughs> Which is a, a very funny sequence. That I mean, he justifies it being like, the thing will be okay. But Which uh, he is. And then Ben kind of gets a funny response. He, he cl- crashes into the surface with a goosh. And then Ben kind of lifts himself up from the muck and says, well, thanks just all to pieces, Reed. You can pick up the tab for spring clean in my dainty orange bod. Yeah, and what do you think Ego's going to do about this hole I made in his hide? Very, very a, thing. Yeah, and then he gets attacked by uh, organisms Anti- formed out of the body. Yeah, which are antibodies. We see Sue, who that you know, in the hands of a creator who actually respects her powers. Sue is very formidable in all battles. She's able to like levitate up on a little invisible column. The four of them start working together pretty quickly to get over to the rocket device, which is not part of Ego's surface, so it doesn't have the same defenses. Yeah. Then we cut away briefly to Frankie Ray, who's taking a shower and looks in the mirror and is shocked. And we won't find out about that, I think, for another like three issues. John Byrne loves drawing scantily. For someone who's kind of like very like respects the invisible woman and like She-Hulk and I think I think enjoys having female characters be a big part of the story. He also likes drawing dames in bikinis, getting out of showers. You know what I mean? Like he likes showing skin. Yeah. So, but Frankie Ray is shocked at something she sees in the mirror at her naked self, and we're not going to find what for three or four more issues. It, yeah, we're not finding out in the three issues we covered today. Um. All right. Back inside the rocket device, Ego introduces himself for I think the third time. Yeah. Uh, threatening that the FF should not mess with his little rocket device. Yeah, and they take out some sort of power cell, uh, which uh, Reed is able to jury-rig into some sort of bomb. And they decide, we're going to go into the body, we're going to find the brain, and they find it immediately. They find it immediately, but Reed realizes it's a decoy brain, so it just tells Johnny to destroy it, which he does. Yeah, pretty big gamble. I mean, is there a no-killing rule for the FF? Because they're they're being real reckless with Ego's... There certainly isn't no killing rule because they make a reference when they kill the antibodies that they're not actually killing anything when that happens. Yeah. But they kill Ego at the end of this comic. Yeah. And nobody questions that. Yeah. I think like if you're evil enough and you're a you're a big talking planet, we just don't worry too much about it. And about Ego's it. fine. He comes back. Maybe they know he's a Kirby creation and he can't be dead for a little while. But. So the we begin the the sec the act two of this is the FF descending to the core and one by one they fall off. First Reed, because he's like pliable, he says he's more sensitive to pressure, he can't make it. Then and this is su- also like a cool thing, right? Because like John Byrne gives like reasons why they go out in the order they do. Like you could probably create reasons to go to different order, but the order he comes up with and the reasons he comes up with feel very smart and cool to me. I agree. And that's part of the fun of reading this is somebody's somebody's on the job of giving just enough, just enough like verisimilitude and like and and logical Ooh. truth. Yeah. Verisimilitude. Okay. Yeah. I've been Boy. I've been reading about Superman one, and that's that's the word that uh, Richard Donner had like he said a million times to his crew. They need verisimilitude. It needs to look real. Okay. So um yeah, so Reed is more his pliable nature makes him succumb to the pressures of the earth, the ego earth quickly. And so he has to stay behind. And he willingly does it right. There's no like heroic. He's like, yeah, I can't do it. And then Sue doesn't last much longer. She, and for her, it's not the pressure. It's the heat. Yeah. Um, and they, th- it's kind of nice that Sue's not the first one out. I feel like if it was Kirby yeah. and Lee, she wouldn't even have gone into the planet. It's great that she's, even though she's the second one out, um, but yeah, it's it's great that she's and she doesn't even want she doesn't want to stop going. But the thing throws her, probably uh, breaks her leg. Johnny can last longer only in flame form. Right. The heat but, doesn't bother Johnny, but eventually the pressure starts to get to him. Uh, and the thing even mentions that, yeah, I'm even starting to feel it. 
Uh, and there's kind of a good FFE thing, you know, Torch and Ben always have their tough guy rivalry and also their tough guy love. Guess this isn't the time for false pride. Slong, big buddy. Don't go dying on us, will you? Thing. You ain't seen the last of me by a long shot, hot stuff. Without yours truly, who'd provide the glamour for the group? And that feels like a Stanley line. In a good way. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I always mean that in a good way. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, this is also like, you know. It's always good. <laughs> okay. And uh, <laughs> so now we got the thing alone, and we're back to kind of like, where we were at the beginning, uh, thing all by himself with a bomb on his back, and he reaches the bomb, the brain in the middle, and well, somehow. And just before that, there's moments where he's like, "I gotta rest just for a minute before I collapse." Only I don't dare. Don't know how close ego is to Earth. Don't know if there's still time to stop him. Come on, Grim, move your mask. Like there's nobody. He can't give up. There's nobody for him to pass the bomb on to at this point. Also, move your mask is a fun yeah. interpolation of move your ass. The drawings uh, yes. here are all great. We should say, like, the landscapes just uh, look really beautiful and good. It it's constantly is changing. It's not like he just, John Byrne came up with, like, one interior design. Like, it's constantly adapting and changing. It looks cool throughout. Which is what Kirby would do. And it's also very easy to discern what's happening. You just always know what you're looking at with John Byrne. I mean, he's just a good storyteller, also very yeah. like Kirby in that way. Yes. Um, now we do reach the brain of the living planet. And when Ben's near the brain, for some reason, he's able to absorb ego's thoughts and he sees ego's story. Yes. And we get a flashback that Ben sees, which is that <coughs> uh, ego is a living planet and Galactus tried to eat him and Thor fought off Galactus. And so ego and Thor were friends temporarily, but then ego ate a bunch of Thor's friends and became an enemy of Thor. And and Galactus also put like a blaster on Ego to send him flying away. Yep. Um, that's the rocket that they saw. Yeah, I mean, I don't care about any of that, but it's and that's like Marvel MO of the time. It's like, let's explain how Ego got here. Right. Well, there wasn't so much continuity, right? You could you could summarize everybody's whole history in a page. Now it would be like and then on Krakoa, Ego became the school where everybody yeah, right. like learns, you know, uh, you know, science degrees for bachelor degrees. They go to this other living planet or whatever. Yeah. And then what happens here is the thing throws the bomb and misses. And Ego like fires his blasters to get to Earth faster. But because they removed a power pack, only one of them fires and he spirals into the sun and dies. Yeah. So it's maybe it's a little technicality. They don't actually kill him. They they vandalize him so that he accidentally kills himself. Yeah. But I, I, I find that part. I didn't remember that part. It was like, Oh, the thing really didn't do anything. Them like removing the blaster pack kind of did everything they needed to do. They didn't need to journey into the planet. Well, that's true. I didn't realize that. I mean, I guess he, he's the one who provoked. Yeah. The final thing. Yeah. I, I just kind of wish it was a little more critical that he did that. It's, it's a it's a fine point, but I was like, because of this cool story to get there, I wanted that to mean a little bit more. But yeah, yeah. the planet dissolves and the thing is floating in space and the FF rescue him. Uh, it's a pretty good one and done story. Um, it's it's the fourth in a row one and done story that Burn has done with the FF. Yep. And then we're going to go on to an anniversary issue, the 20th anniversary of the Fantastic Four issue 236. Yeah. Special triple sized. Yeah, I guess, I, you know, 236 is not a special number, so it must just be the month and year that it came out or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so the cover has kind of got all the current Marvel characters celebrating the FF, including Stan Lee, not including Jack Kirby. I think Jack should be there, too. That is crazy. It's surprising that Byrne wouldn't put him on there. Yeah. Um, I think this is just before how all the artists started rallying around Jack and how unfair Marvel was. And Stan was still the beloved daddy figure. I'm kind of guessing here, but like, I mean, it's, like it's weird that Stan is there and not Jack. I mean, Ghost Rider and Valkyrie are here. I mean, they put all the current characters who have, who are in the Marvel comics, right? Sure. But I mean, like even like Claremont and Byrne, when they, they had Jack and Stan at Rockefeller center. Oh, that was Cockrum. I think. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, it feels weird. It feels weird. I didn't even notice that. 
Anyway, Kevin, this issue is a big one. This is like one of the signature issues of the John Byrne run. I think this is like one of the milestone stories. It's definitely one of the ones that comes to my mind when I think about the run. Yes, definitely. Um, it's called Terror in a Tiny Town. Now, just because we could dive in deep here, I'm going to kind of summarize the whole thing real quick. It's it's a long story, so I think we have to do that. Yeah, so. Oh, oh hey, one quick thing. You know who lettered the previous issue? Gene Simic? Yeah. Artie must be related to Artie Simic, right? Oh, yeah, it must. Anyway, that's all. I Husband and wife this. lettering couple? Or daughter or son? I don't, I don't even, I don't, I don't know how people are named. Yeah, I don't know how they're related, but I just think that's cool. It's a Simic. A family of letterers. I just picture, <laughs> yeah, you know, right, just right. like a whole house. And in every room, they're like, I'm just with rulers and I had to bring that up because uh, uh, this one's lettered by boring old Jim Novak. <laughs> <laughs> Kim Novak's. Uh, right, yeah, yeah, but didn't stay in the business of acting. Switched over to the more glamorous career of uh, comic lettering. book lettering. Yeah. Uh, all right, so, great. Well, give me a recap, Will Hines. Well, we we start off with the FF are just not the FF we know, but are unpowered individuals living in a little suburban town. But they all have dreams of being the FF, yeah, and specifically, they have dreams of basically their origin. Yeah, they have dreams of their origin. Um. And we find out Reed's a professor and Sue's is, you know, a stay-at-home wife. And Johnny's just like a drives around a little hot rod and has a nothing job. And Ben is a runs a store, I forget what kind of store, a butcher shop or something, or a restaurant. And Alicia's his yeah, wife it looks and like she a, can it looks see like a pizza place, but he serves burgers. So I think it's just a little pub, maybe. Okay. So he runs like a little restaurant or pub or something, and Alicia's his wife, and she can see. We don't know what's going on, but then we see that one of the residents of this town is the puppet master, which is Alicia's dad. And so we're like, okay, this is definitely going to be part of the deal. And also, pretty noticeably, Reed's boss at the university is a guy named Victor Vaughn. Mm -hmm. Named uh, who, after uh, Vince Vaughn. Named after sort of Vince, Vaughn homage before, to Vince Vaughn. Homage to 10 year old Vince Vaughn. Um, <laughs> yep. And uh, this professor, this boss hates Reed and humiliates him and is always yelling at him. And I Victor don't know Va what. Victor Vaughn, a much more sensible name than Victor Von Doom. <laughs> right. Um, but that that kind of raises the eyebrows a little bit. Yeah. And they've we eventually Reed through a particularly strong dream. Just it it occurs to him. He just it, he realizes, oh, we're trapped here. This is not our real lives. And through some Reed Richards investigation, uh, he figures out that they are all in a miniature town trapped in little robot synthetic bodies because Puppet Master teamed up with Dr. Doom and trapped them here. Yeah, Reed like cuts his arm open to figure and this out. He believes it's it so it's... significantly, which is a crazy thing to do if you're wrong. Yep, and he sees that it's not real blood inside his own body. Um, Yeah, and then I guess let's recap everything and then we'll just kind of talk about some of the highlight moments so we, but, we you know read on then they get puppet master in his little also robot body and they collar him and they're like what's going on and it's like all right he, puppet master wanted a happy life for alicia so he teamed up with doom and doom came up with the technology for these little synth bodies and in exchange for kidnapping the fat you know puppet master used his like puppet master mind control ability to capture the FF with his like puppet clay, which is that's an established thing he's had his, the mm -hmm. whole time he's existed, lures the FF into Doom's hands, who traps him in these synth bodies. So Doom gets to torture Reed and have the FF off the table, and uh, and Puppet Master gets Alicia to have a happy life with Ben and with him part of it. Yeah, and he's there too, and he's the beloved father-in-law, father and father-in-law. Yeah, and so then the Fantastic Four find a way to give their synth bodies their powers, and once they have their powers, they are able to defeat Doctor Doom, even 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 miniaturized, and get back into their regular bodies. Yep, and they end up with Doom humiliated as always. This time, frozen in like a weird comatose state, where his consciousness is trapped back in his little Victor Vaughn synth body in the tiny town. And <laughs> his Puppet synth Master body has being chased around town by like an angry mob at like the end of a, I don't know, Beverly Hillbillies episode. It feels like, I don't even know what. I mean, for being maybe the number one villain of the Marvel universe, he has such humiliating ends and John Byrne is keeping that up. Yeah, that's great. Just being chased around by a mob of farmers, basically. So what are some of the sequences that you really liked in this story? Let's hit some of the highlights. 
because I don't want to just move on. No, definitely not. Um, I, I remember the the dreams of the origin were very striking. Like because they're having dreams of the origin, we get in this anniversary issue to kind of constantly re-see the famous origin of the Fantastic Four. Weird that it's famous because it's not actually that great a story as opposed to the origin of Spider-Man, but it's visually famous. Like all of the panels of FF1 are burned into the brain of all the Fantastic Four fans. And so we got to kind of get to see them from each of their points of view, sort of. Yeah, it's the kind same of, angles. Kind of they're definitely homages to the original drawings. Like when Johnny is burning up, it looks just like, at least pose-wise, how Kirby staged it. Um, We get, I mean, this is trite, but Ben realizing that he'd have to be the thing again if he leaves and he doesn't want to leave, it always kind of moves me a little bit. He just wants to stay here in his normal life. That, when Sue... When Sue well, has, Sue has a dream. She sees a thing kind of transformed through like three or four different styles that he's had through the eras. That's fun too. Yep, that's visually very cool. Um, the shot of Doom lording over the town with the four of them and their little miniature bodies running out onto the street always stuck in my mind. Who but Doctor Doom? <laughs> he's saying as he like yeah. leans over them. But I don't know that moment's. The, kind of, the idea that Doom couldn't leave well enough alone and had to like go into this world to torture Reed is very funny too. Like he go, goes in there and he's made Reed a little confused. Like Reed doesn't have access to his full intellect. And he's like sort of a, a poorly thought of professor, a struggling professor. And the dean of the school is always lecturing him on not being smart enough. And that <laughs> person is Doom. And it's very funny that like that is like part of the trap for him. Yeah, it's. And then everyone he brings, else is like happy lives, but Reed has sort of this annoyingly disappointing life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At one point, Reed in the tiny town before he realizes who it really is, is saying to Sue, maybe maybe Victor's right. Maybe I am a hopeless incompetent. And I'm like, that's what your boss said to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not even that's not what you say to hopeless incompetence at, at our jobs. He does also this weird thing. It, it, it didn't bother me at the time as I read this as a kid, but it bothers me now. This whole idea that like Alicia having sight is such a um, desired thing. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's something we're supposed to be rooting for when it's like it doesn't seem to slow her down at all. She's very capable, more she's capable a, than me. She's a world renowned sculptor. Yeah, like her life is better blind than most people with eyes. And so it's like her being blind doesn't has never felt has never really felt to me like a detriment. Um, but it always is like a big thing. It's like, oh, I wish we could stay here so Alicia could see is like set at some point. It's like, oh, who yeah, cares about that. Yeah, it's it's, it's a minor I, thing. I don't remember that too often being a plot point in the Alicia storyline. Like it's way it more. It definitely like... was during the Kirby Lee ones because we talked about it when we covered oh, those okay, issues. Okay. It, it came up uh, like, didn't they travel back in time to get a cure for her blindness? Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Like it certainly <laughs> was a driving point. Um, not every story was about that, but like it came up every now and then. As I mean, if, if you if are inventing tons that. of crazy stuff and it's like, hey, can you give me my sight back? I mean, that does seem like a nice, sure. nice to have. Yeah, um, I, I, that's maybe my only nitpick on this issue. Otherwise, it's very fun. There's a moment here where I really like when Reed. Now they realize that the FF they're breaking into the university and all the other NPCs are shut down. And Reed sees the man who was his like best friend on the staff. And he's kind of. Yeah stunned to see him and a little sad to see him and realize that he's just a robot. I, I kind of like that moment. It is also funny with all the details that were put into this world that doom did not build himself a real office. His office is like a little closet. He goes into and sits in an empty room. Cause he leaves the moment he goes in there. Yeah. His body just sits there slumped over the chair. It's like, it's yeah, like, just outfit the office, put some desks there. You built everything else in this world. Like, why'd you skimp on that one moment? What well, if the Reed poked his head in? The other funny part is the university, the little fake university, gets a particle accelerator of some kind, and it's real, and it's functional, and that's what Reed uses to escape. Yeah. And it's like, you can't put a fake one in there? Like, that can't be part of your... You got to give Reed a real, yeah. super powerful technological thing? Uh, it is very fun to get their powers, and then watching them sort of, like, escape this little tiny town as, like, basically Ant-Man-sized FF is very, very fun. It's visually so great. And it's another great Sue moment where she is the one who goes to scout out and find Doom and lure him back to the tiny town. 
Yeah, because she's now the most mobile since she can like create a little invisible disc and fly around on it. After Johnny, she's like the and in, if you want a stealth mission, she's better. Yeah, they they talk about Johnny's flame giving out basically whenever they need it to. Doesn't seem to ever really run out. Yeah, um, and it's a great issue, right? I mean, it's one of the, it's one of it, the stories. It's this well told, terrific. I mean, I remember when I, we we bought it as a back issue. I just I was like, oh man, this is a winner. Yeah, I remember reading this over and over and over again. Um, I'd forgotten about the little bonus thing where it's uh, me too, me too. A Stan and Jack uh, storyboards from the 1970s cartoon of the Fantastic well, it's Four. It's not storyboards. It seems like Kirby drew this, right? I think they took the storyboards and repurposed them. Oh, okay, because it's They're, inked by different people, so it's a, it's very heavy finishes. Yeah. They took Kirby's storyboards. They got a bunch of inkers to finish them up, and then a colorist to color to to add color. And uh, there's maybe... no there's no way the cartoon was going to be uh, loyal to these storyboards. These angles are too exciting for a Hanna Barbera cartoon. Yeah, just like Jack's ability to tell a story is so dynamic, and the budgets they devoted to those cartoons were just so boring. I mean, that '70s cartoon is boring. Yeah, this is the second era of. FF cartoons. The first era was decent. This era was bad. Yeah, this is the Herbie the Robot version. And they had Jack doing the boards, but they obviously just didn't didn't yeah. devote the time and resources to take what was good from those storyboards. Hey, but they did make one change to this. This is a this is an adaption of a classic Stan Lee story. Um like they did this. This is like issue, whatever, seven, five. I don't know, five of FF. Uh they made one change in the original story. Doom sends them back to get the treasure. And this one, he specifically says, get the treasure chest. And it always bothered me. He asked for the tre- the treasure. But when they come back in the original comic, Reed's like, well, we brought you the chest. It's like, uh, I thought that was in the original one also. He does say, you only asked for the chest. But when we were reading it, he said, he specifically, Doom does not specify chest. Okay. So Reed, it is just like, it is just like a poor script. Like, you know, those things were scripted so fast. Yeah. You should have just gone back and put the word chest in there. It's so Reed, Reed Reed uses the same excuse in issue five, but he's but he's wrong. Here, here he's telling the truth. Last time he was just basically misremembering what he promised to do. But also you can lie to Doom. And and just we we've kind of skipped over. This is the issue where Dr. Doom oh, yeah. we meet we meet Dr. Doom in the original issue five of FF, and he has a time travel device, sends them back to Blackbeard's time to get Blackbeard's treasure, and he's taken Sue hostage. And yeah. they get just the chest. And it turns out that thing is Blackbeard. Yeah, there's a very funny moment in this where the thing says, so how do we get your blasted treasure chest? We just hop in our itty bitty time machine? And Tomb's response is, how did you know? Yeah. That is that is a genuinely Stanley-ish humor moment. And then the thing's response is, he's got a time machine? Now, what do we get him for Christmas? <laughs> Pretty good. Good. Um, all right, two thirty-seven. The eyes have it. Just, just it's probably the least interesting of the three issues we're going over today. Yeah, although by it's, far. A, it's a very serviceable story, but I think just in the interest of time, I'm going to blow through it. But, yeah, of the six we've covered, this is easily the least interesting. Uh, the basic overall story is that an alien who gets nicknamed the Spinneret, uh, who is this, you know, nine foot tall lady alien who can sort of i don't quite know what her power is but like give everybody vertigo and disorient them yeah and the, and the vertigo drawings are really cool the way john Byrne does it he's these concentric circles but it makes the images underneath them look like broken and disjointed in a really fun way yeah somehow she can just sort of knock everybody off their feet with her ability and uh some low-life criminal grabbing bags of money type have enlisted her to help them do some petty crimes and the Fantastic Four investigate, and it turns out that she, she is drunk because there's too much oxygen in our air for her, for yeah. her race. This and then, feels like a the bad era of FF story. Like an I alien mean, comes down and gets work and works with hoodlums. Right? There's a story right where that baby, yes, the alien, on, the like, enfant works with terrible or whatever, like the super powered fe- baby. They give that baby ice cream in the Jack Kirby story to mollify it. Yeah. This feels marginally more realistic. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's an old FF type of story. Just kind of redux here. Um, it's all right though. The art is good. It moves quick. It's, it's not bad. It's just forgettable compared to these other ones. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, 
yeah, couple, if, this couple... your, if this is your bad issue, it's a very fun, readable, interesting story. And there's like a couple nice sequences of like the thing training. Johnny sees Frankie Ray naked and it's astonished at something that we'll find out next issue. Yeah. So Frankie's been astonished. Now Johnny's astonished. We'll find out next issue. What also Franklin has a little use of his powers here when he oh, sees right. his parents threatened. Franklin lashes out at uh spinneret and hurts the spinneret. Right, that's setting up a subplot with Franklin's powers, his all-powerful powers. Uh, They're starting to emerge. To fruition. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, this is a real kind of like lame old Star Trek episode plot or lame old FF plot. But I don't know. It yeah, was still, this, With the beautiful John Byrne art and the crisp storytelling, it was a fun read. Yeah, this is like season one of Next Generation before they realized they didn't have to be that loyal to the original Star Trek. Yeah. They could kind of just, just do cool stories. All right, Kev, should we uh, take a break? Yeah, let's do it. And we're back, Will Hines. Thank you, Kevin Hines. Do we have any uh, mail that we can read? We do have some mail. So you, uh, you can people of our, yeah, go for yeah, it. email us at screwitcomics at gmail, or you can tweet at us at screwitcomics, um, or look at our Instagram account at screwitcomics. And also, like we said at the top of the show, Take one of our Insta posts and put it in your story at the Screw It Insta Push campaign. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the, it's all the buzz is about that campaign since mm-hmm. we talked about it earlier this episode. Yep. Uh, let's see. Our first email, I think, is from you. It's from a, someone named Will. Okay. I guess uh, it was me. I don't remember yeah. writing it, but that sounds right. The subject is my compliments and a request. Brothers Hines, thank you for the delightfully positive funny and entertaining podcast your secret wars episodes rekindled fond memories of the 80s and your early hulk episodes are laugh out loud funny toad men thank you again for putting out such an enjoyable podcast may i recommend that you cover dan slot's touching love story in the silver surfer thanks again and then he posts some images from that silver surfer run Uh, have you read any of those issues well no i have not it is a tremendous run Uh, it's drawn by mike allred who um, Mad Men already Mad Men and drew the uh, Untold Tales annual that we covered, mm-hmm. um, and it's about the Silver Surfer. It is sort of Dan Slott doing his sort of version of Doctor Who because uh, the Silver Surfer kind of gets a companion, um, though it's more of a love interest I think than it normally is in Doctor Who. And he basically wow. travels the universe, having sort of done in one adventures, sort of science fiction adventures. Him and this which for him is like commonplace and his companion who is sort of the entryway uh, person for that, those adventures. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's great. There's a couple really uh, classic stories in it. And in general, it's just very fun and it's just beautiful. Mike Allred's art is tremendous. Has Slot just written like 10,000 issues of Marvel comics? Yeah, but most of those were Spider-Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> 9,000 9, of those were Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, because he's had a few runs. He did, he did like some great like adventures. Um, he did, what else did he do? He did like, uh, uh, Ren and Stimpy Mm. and like things like that for a while. But I think like he didn't have like a long run of, um, Marvel comics before he started doing amazing Spider-Man. He had done a bunch of stuff for DC. He had done some Batman adventures and he did like a cool mini, called the Arkham Asylum, not the one by Grant Morrison, but a different one. Um, but he hadn't done like he, I, Spider-Man is where he sort of became like, it was a big deal that he was part of the brain trust on the uh, Spider-Man titles. And then when he took it over solo, that was also kind of a big deal. Okay. Um, well, I haven't read the Silver, Sur- Silver Surfer, but that does sound fun. Oh, and he also did the Spider-Man human torch mini. That was great. Uh, but that's from Will R. And I agree, Will R. That's a great, great series. I think it would be a fun one to cover or at least cover some of the issues. I think Will would really, really enjoy those. Okay, maybe. Uh, we have an email from Paul Fung, who has written us before. Thank you, um, uh, uh, hi, Ops. Just listen to your most recent Mutants and Mailbags episodes. Thanks for the cold open. <laughs> uh, so he's one of those people begging us to do more cold opens. Right. Uh, I'd happily listen to you talk about the X-Men forever, but I think issue 200 is a pretty good place to stop. I recently reread all the X-Men comics from the 60s to the mid-90s, and though there is definitely good stuff post-200, I don't think you're missing anything amazing. Uh, That's good to hear. 
Okay. Uh, though I enjoy you t- talking about good comics, I miss you talking about bad comics too, or if not bad, just ridiculous comics, <laughs> particularly the Silver Age Marvel stuff, which is good and bad and ridiculous all at once. I'd like to see you do a short season covering some of the other Silver Age Marvel series you haven't done already. Maybe just the first issues. You could decide which of them work best at capturing your attention. You could even do it in three episodes. Thor, Iron Man, Avengers, X-Men, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, and I guess you could do Ant-Man. I'm mainly asking this because Avengers 1 is bananas, and I want to hear your reactions. <laughs> I've only read that issue once, so I barely remember it. But um, I think I do remember Avengers 1 being like, oh, my gosh, this is like the thinnest yeah. story. Uh, you know what? Honestly, Paul, this is a great idea. I like this This idea. is a good idea, yeah. Um, he, had, he had a good idea about the cold opens, and a good, I mean, we need this guy as a producer. Yeah, that's good. This, you're hired. <laughs> Get some people to retweet our Instagram post. And you can <laughs> um, retweet. I, I don't know how we to don't describe know what we're things. Saying. Repost. We don't know. Uh, here's here's an email from Dan Dan Wars. Uh, his subject is Hembeck. Uh, hey, fellow cowards! I was psyched to hear you guys were on Cape Cod earlier this year. <laughs> <laughs> a strange start to an email already. Uh, I grew up there and my folks still live in Brewster. They actually owned a comic shop in Orleans years ago. Next time you're there, you should probably hang out with my dad. He's a big comic fan and also a total hoot. I mean, okay, okay. let's do it. Um, okay. My Los Angeles pal, Nick is working on a live action project in development for Marvel slash Disney called Hembeck. I'm helping him workshop it, and we have some of the casting nailed down, but we need your help to round up the cast and figure out plot points and the must-have content. Here's what we have. Okay. Fred Hembeck, played by Zach Galifianakis. Okay, sure. Brother Voodoo, played by Craig Robinson. Okay, right. Craven the Hunter, Pedro Pascal. I guess, yeah. Peter Porker, Tobey Maguire. (laughs) Interesting choice. Goose Rider, Tilda Swinton. Oh, really fun. Stan Lee, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, you could do it. Jim Shooter, John Cena. Oh, very weird. Uh, Yeah, very weird. Kind of fun. Steve Ditko, Joe Parra. Oh, that's that's a fun one. Gru the Wanderer, Jim Belushi. (laughs) Interesting choice. Interesting choice. Uh, Herbie, the computer Joshua from War Games. I feel like he is just trying to get us on board with that one. Uh, thanks in advance for the help. Um, I'll make sure you guys get writer's credits. Also, you should cover the 2003 limited series, Unstable Molecules. It's pretty great and a weird meta take on the FF and the early Marvel bullpen. Best regards, Dan. Okay, I have a pitch for a couple alts for the cast. Okay, great. So I think Jim Shooter, although John Cena would be fun, I think the guy from Veep, the tall skinny guy, Tim Simons, would be a yeah. better Jim Shooter. And um, right. I think even though Jim Belushi has grew, it'd be fun to see Jim try to like get in with the cool kids. Uh, I think um, Will Forte would be a better Gru the Wanderer. Um, if you if you're kind of looking for this sort of like cool kids yeah. SNL, and he uh, can play dumb really well. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I that that I kind of I kind although Jim Jim looks <laughs> kind of looks more like Gru. I think I, I think Forte would. Yeah, but the comic you, essence of a uh, group. If you're playing a Sergio Aragnos um, character, I, I, you're—I don't know—you're not going to look like him no matter what you do. <laughs> um, um, I don't and, believe this is a real project. Uh, I don't believe it's real either. But uh, I like—I like his desperate attempt to get our attention, and it has worked. You get a no prize. I mean, I love Fred Hambeck, so. His little PD stories were some of my favorite things. I love little, little PD from way, way before he was Spider Man. Yeah, uh, my pitch for the title of the series: Bah Hembeck. <laughs> Great. Okay, and um, that's all I got. I mean, it's, is it just a story about Hembeck trying to like break into Marvel and become like, um, like a head, like a like running the art department for Marvel or something? <laughs> I don't know. What is the know. story? That's that's my pitch for the for the arc. I think it's that he doesn't think his stories are funny. He thinks they're serious and full of pat- pathos. Uh, and he's upset that people only want to do comic stuff. So he wants to do like, you know, Dark Knight Returns. And they're like, no, you're doing Peter Porker. <laughs> um, our next email is from Corey Mintz. 
Uh, hey, Milksops, I continue to enjoy your show. Thanks for your exploration of Kurt Busick's work. If you're capping your Chris Claremont read-through at X-Men 200, please consider putting one foot over the line to include issue 201. It's a solid standalone story. Aurora and Scott duel for team leadership, with Scott coming across as a lousy husband, father, and leader, and will probably leave a better taste in your mouth after 100-plus issues. Um well, we didn't do that, Corey. Sorry. We didn't do it, Corey, but that does sound like a, a nice suggestion. Uh, and from everything I've seen, like the next handful of issues looked good. Yeah. I think we just we were just at the right place to stop. Just that and... nice round number is hard to resist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick uh, emails us, hey, Milksops, during the run of X-Men you just completed, it was if there was just one X-Men related character that wasn't in the run that you had to add, who would it be? For example, Gambit didn't debut in the X-Men until the 260s. Thanks, Patrick. You're asking the wrong guys. Uh, we I don't know enough X characters to say who who should be in it, you know? Um, uh, I, I, I couldn't even... I don't, I'm, not, I'm not even sure I could list that many. Yeah, I could list more because I've read some of the current stuff. Though most of my favorites pre-exist, do exist in that run, right? Like, um, like non-X-Men ones would be like Cannonball and Cipher. We got to see them a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I was pick, I was Doug Warlock, and we got to see him. Uh, we even got to see Multiple Man, though not with his like later personality. Um, so yeah, uh, most of my favorites are there. But if I had to pick another one, I would pick. Um, Gabby from the uh, X-23 series or the uh, the all-new Wolverine series. She is a clone of a clone of Wolverine, and she is delightful. Okay, good choice. I assume I like her. And that's 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 it, right? That's all we need to choose on. Um, we didn't see Mr. Sinister, right? No, we didn't. We didn't make it to Mr. Sinister. Be curious to see what's going on with such a ridiculously named character. Um. Oh, here's a good one. We have an email from Ben. Sanborn. Mm -hmm. um, his subject is the Chris Claremont of artists. And this is something we talked about at one point. Yeah. I think in our last X-Men episode. Yeah. Uh, hey, Milksops. First things first, I just want to tell all the listeners, young and old, that begging and groveling does indeed work. As to my great joy, the Milksops will be covering one of my favorite Marvel limited series, Squadron Supreme. Uh, I eagerly await the brothers Milksops comparing and contrasting this series versus the much more critically acclaimed Watchmen. Uh, unpopular opinion, I like Squadron Supreme better. Uh, I also am looking forward to the John Byrne Fantastic Four, as I believe it was the best run after the original Lee-Kirby collaboration. Uh, uh, as for the question of who is the Chris Claremont of Marvel artists, I have two who coincidentally are also brothers. You mentioned in the podcast that the Mount Rushmore of Marvel artists, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and John Romita Sr. would be omitted as they are too easy. I think not just too easy, but like they would be the Stan Lee of artists. Right. They're just a different metaphor. Yeah. Uh, Neil Adams, RIP, as great as he was, would be considered a DC artist in most circles. Yeah, I think great, that, that is true. The late great George Perez, who had seminal runs in Avengers, Infinity Gauntlet, and FF, would also be considered more of a DC guy. I think that's right. Uh, John Romita Jr. would be in the running, but compared to the next three artists I mentioned, has had much less work published in the Silver Bronze Marvel Age. You had mentioned John Byrne, and I definitely see him as a contender, as he has drawn almost every Marvel character ever. And much like John Romita Sr. in the 70s, Byrne's 1980s renderings would become the Marvel house art style in the 80s. But I was surprised, being the brothers that you are, that you left out another pair of brothers in John and Sal Buscema. Right. They both had been with Marvel since the 1960s, and John had a great run of Conan in the 70s. And I believe that Sal had the longest run of Hulk by an artist ever. Uh, John also was the artist for most of the great 80s Avengers stories, along with inker Tom Palmer, starting in 85. Sal went on to have a great run on Spider-Man after he was done with the Hulk in the 80s and continued into the 90s. Other than Jack Kirby, both John and Sal have the largest volume of Marvel art published from the Silver and Bronze Age. So my humble vote for the Chris Claremont of artists would be John Buscema, followed by John Byrne, and then Sal Buscema. Uh, greatly looking forward to your next season, Ben. Uh, that was, I mean, that's a great pitch. That's a great pitch. It's really smart. You know, the main difference is none of them have the self-promotion that Claremont did. Like, I think Claremont, kind of like Stan Lee, liked his name on everything. 
I don't think Chris unfairly took credit for stuff uh, the way Stan is often accused yeah. of. And let's face it did. Um, <laughs> but like Claremont definitely, I think enjoyed being synonymous with the X-Men. Um, uh, I can't fault him for that, but I, I, I got to think it's a little bit him who like, who kind of like made it put his name. I, I don't know that it's either wishful thinking come true. And n- none of these guys have the name power that Claremont does or Lee. Well, to me, so for me, it's different about the name power and more about like how important they were. Right. Like the reason we talk about Claremont so much is that come a little closer to the mic there. Uh, sorry. Brother. I leaned back. Um, the reason I, I like to think about it, how important they are more than how famous they are, I guess. Mm-hmm, Cause mm-hmm. like, Claremont, as we discussed, was had to be like the second most important writer. Yeah. After Stanley, Stanley was important because he was there at the beginning, and then Claremont did the X Men. Yeah, like that's all he did. He only did really one. I mean, he did other books, but that's the only book that mattered, right? He did Iron Fist. He did Marvel Team Up. He did some Fantastic Four. But right, like, but his it's X-Men his X Men work. Yeah, changed Marvel Comics and comics. Uh, yeah, comics in general. It, it was so seminal and important. Um, Although, you know, same of course, way that I mean, I don't think he would not argue with what I'm going to say, which is like insanely crucial contributions from Dave Cockrum for those visual designs, Len Wein for launching it and John Byrne for like yes, co-writing. But, but yeah, but no, if, I, but, I'm not but, disputing. I'm not disputing. If, I'm, if we're comparing him to Stan Lee, it's like Stan Lee also had some contributions from a few artists that maybe That's you've true. heard of, Will, like Don Heck, <laughs> uh, Larry Lieber. <laughs> is he an artist? I think he did both. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm not discounting the artist when I say that, but just as a writer, his importance was so big. So who's the artist of the next generation who is as important as Kirby, Ditko, and Ramita? Might, uh, he might and I think there's right. an argument for John Buscema. He feels early, early too early for it, uh, but that might not be true. I mean, do you I consider the a, 70s early? Um I mean, only in the sense that, like, I consider Claremont's impact mostly in the 80s. Yeah. So I was, I was arbitrarily looking for somebody in the 80s. But it doesn't have to be that. I think John is a really good argument. I think Sal, as great as he was, is not that person. I think Byrne, I think is who we were pitching, is also up there. I do think Perez is, is up there as well. Um, Perez is more that, of a co-company. I mean, like, Neil Adams is definitely yeah. a DC guy. I don't dispute you that You think at all. Batman first with him. And Perez is more of a DC guy because he kind of came to fame there first, mm-hmm. but he did so much at Marvel. It's hard to discount that. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like Kirby's a Marvel guy, no matter what, even though Kirby did a tremendous amount at DC. But but that is also me discounting his the Conan run, how important that was to Marvel. I'm probably underplaying that. And certainly his as his Avengers run is huge. Uh, it's It's a hard, I would have a hard time Discounting John Buscema. It's a good argument. Yeah. Did we ever talk um, about just Frank Miller as the artist being the guy? You, I mean, like, you brought that up, and I said, "No way, you're wrong. You're an idiot." Okay. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we we did. I think that you brought that up. It just it was too small a body of work. Okay. Yeah. And also, I think he's both companies as well. Definitely. I mean, with Dark Knight Returns, absolutely. Like his, and also and I think year he's, one. Yeah. I think he's more of a him being a writer artist changes things yeah well same with burn though right yeah but i weirdly think burns artist art makes more had more of an impact in his writing i don't know there well i don't know miller's think, art though miller's art the style was so impactful like Mil- miller's got more of a distinctive style than burn does yeah burn but what just, was more if you had to lose his art or his writing which do you lose oh yeah i, I see what you're saying and if you had to lose one for burn what do you lose you lose the writing i think so right yeah. Yeah, he's uh, like more of a director than a screenwriter. Director and, and cinematographer. And like you see how good Born Again is and 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 you see how good Frank Miller is when he's just writing. And even like his later issues that are just Klaus Jansen are still great. Yeah. Yeah. Um Okay, I'm I'm convinced again. You had to make the same just, argument I, again and you you yeah. got me. It's just, I I Frank Miller was important in a different way. Yeah, he's not the Chris Claremont of comics. He's the Frank Miller of comics. Right, right, right. <laughs> if, if anything, he's the Steranko. Right. right. Just coming in and do something completely different that sort of like changes how everyone else wants to do their comics. 
wonder where Steve Gerber fits in as the writer. I mean, he's pretty impactful for not a huge volume of stuff. Yeah, he is pretty big. Yeah. But also maybe nobody copied him. Nobody could do what he did. So he kind of did it and then nobody else could do it. Whereas yeah, Jack Kirby did a house style. Everyone did it. John Byrne does a style. Everyone kind of does that. Even Claremont. Yeah. Claremont does issues and people took from that sensibility a lot. So yeah, maybe who, who does Steve Gerber? Nobody. The way X-Men team comics worked is how lots of team comics worked after that. I am very so grateful that we've read all those issues. Like, I'm glad that we have that knowledge of Claremont stuff, even though yeah, it's me- still one fifth or something like that. Yeah, but we read the important stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And like I said, we could have gone maybe 20 more issues, even 30 more issues and probably still had good stuff. But it was going to start diminishing. And I'm glad to get out before that. <laughs> I'd, I'm glad we if we were going to keep going, I would have. I would have slowed been, down. I know. I uh, I would have wanted to do New Mutants more than more X Men if we were going to keep going. Um, I, I arbitrarily was thinking we'd stop at Fall of the Mutants, but that was so much further away still. So I'm kind of glad we stopped where we did. Or the Mutant Massacre, whichever one was first. Speaking of New Mutants, here's a pitch for remembering Bill Sinkevitz's last name. Uh, it's got Kev in the middle. Your name. Um, how am I to remember it, that? Well, it's your it's your name. It's your actual yeah, name. Why would I think about that? I just if you're looking for a way to remember how to say Bill Sinkevitz, it's just the middle of it is Kev. All right. So his name is Bill no. Sean Kevmitch. Oh boy. Those are all names. Okay. 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 Uh, yeah, yes, yes. That's a good way. Um, that, that's what I think of. Sinkevitz. Okay. Sinkevich. I'll try to remember that. Um, I think that that's a this uh, uh Chris Claremont of artists is a good email to end on a will what do yeah you think? i think great i love it so uh we're doing squadron next time right yeah so next episode we're going to cover the first i think three issues of squadron supreme that first issue is a double-sized issue will so start reading okay i'll get on it start right now uh, okay i gotta go i gotta go okay. <laughs> uh, right. see you next so, episode yeah. everybody that's it bye bye screw it, screw it. We're just gonna talk about comics, comics.